Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. Today I'm going to start a new series on the book of Ecclesiastes. I've always wanted to preach through this book, but have been reticent to do so because it's one of the most challenging books in all of the Bible. And we, as I prayed before, may the Lord illuminate us as we dive into this word from God through the one called the preacher. Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 11. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It, is already, it has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Reading Ecclesiastes is like the feeling an American gets the first time he drives in England. The cars in England have the steering wheel, of course, on the right side of the car. Of the car. One must shift the gears with your left hand, which is awkward. Yet the pedals are all in the same position as in an American car. And then, once you start driving, you're driving on the left side of the road on streets that are often very narrow. I remember picking up people at the airport. We lived in England for seven years, and you know, after a while you get the hang of it. <clears throat> but we, Americans would come visit us, and we'd pick them up at the airport, and of course we'd get to a street where there was cars parked on the side of the road. And of course the, the lanes are narrow, and <clears throat> traffic's coming at you. And so the person in the, dry, in the passenger seat, you know, I'm scooting along. Every British person knows exactly the width of his car. And uh, those people in the passenger seat were always leaning over, you know, just cringing, <clears throat> waiting for me to hit something. <clears throat> it's very uncomfortable the first time you dive into that. And I'm sure the feeling is mutual when English people come over and drive our cars on our streets. Well, reading Ecclesiastes is, is similar to that. <clears throat> it's, very, it's a very different book than most of the other books of the Bible. It's not orthodox in reference to other books of the Bible. It's not what we're used to hearing from the Bible. I mean, listen to what we just read. 
what it says can sometimes make us very uncomfortable. It's very cynical about life. It talks repeatedly about the vanity of life. In fact, the word vanity or vain is used 38 times in just 12 chapters. And chapter 10 doesn't have the word in it. So 11 chapters, 38 times the word vanity or vain is used. And on top of that, he often reminds us that we are all going to die. Ecclesiastes is not what you call a feel-good book. Now you may ask, why in the world, Tim, did you choose to preach on such a depressing book when we are living in such depressing times? We're in the middle of a pandemic. We've got violence and rioting in the streets. We have a contentious political arena. All these things are going on and many others. Why would we need to look at something that's even more depressing? Well, don't expect depressing sermons for the next several months, few months. The preacher in Ecclesiastes just wants us to peer into the darkness so that the light will shine brighter for us. The darker the night, the brighter the stars shine. And we're going to peer into the night as we look at Ecclesiastes so that we can see the light. The author is forcing us to look at uh, our life horizontally. There's rarely a vertical look to God. We're just looking at life, as he says, under the sun. That phrase, under the sun, is mentioned 28 times in 12 chapters. Life lived on this earth. We're born and we die. Everything that happens. And if we just look at it without reference to God... That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is doing. Take a long, deep look into that darkness is what he's wanting us to to do. He wants us to look at our life experience and look how we interpret it. And he wants us to follow these so-called answers much further than we would care to take them. He will relentlessly explore path after path to the very point at which it comes to nothing, to vanity, futility, brevity, nothingness. And in the end, only one way will be left. One way will shine brightest. That's what we want to do this morning and throughout the rest of this series. We're going to peer into the darkness. Many people today live their lives without reference to God and they don't consider it. They don't consider their lives, the brevity of life, what they're living for, we need to look at these things. Calvin said this, and and this is a famous statement by John Calvin, right at the very beginning of his Institutes of the Christian Religion. He says, The whole sum of our wisdom, wisdom, that is, which deserves to be called true and assured wisdom, broadly consists of two parts, knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves. The purpose of the first, knowledge of God, is to show not only that there is one God whom all must worship and honor, but also that he is the fount of all truth, wisdom, goodness, righteousness, judgment, mercy, power, and holiness. The purpose of the second, the knowledge of self, is to show us our weakness, misery, vanity, and vileness, 
to fill us with despair, distrust, and hatred of ourselves, and then to kindle in us the desire to seek God, for in Him is found all that is good, and of which we ourselves are empty and deprived. Thus, in recognizing our lowliness, ignorance, and vanity, as well as our perversity and corruption, we come to understand that true greatness, wisdom, truth, righteousness, and purity reside in God. Lastly, we are impelled by our miseries to reflect on the Lord's good gifts, and we cannot sincerely yearn for Him until we have first begun to cease being pleased with ourselves. That second type of knowledge, the knowledge of self, that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes wants us to get. He wants us to see the vanity of life lived without God. He's going to help us have a true knowledge of ourselves and the life we live under the sun so that we will long for Christ. We will long for the light. We will long for God. Well, let's walk through the text together. Verse 1 introduces the book, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Ecclesiastes is really a, a long sermon preached by this guy, the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. It's probably Solomon. That's the traditional view, but it's not explicitly mentioned that it's Solomon anywhere. But the descriptions that were given throughout the text describe someone a lot like Solomon. The title Ecclesiastes comes from the Latin translation of the Hebrew word for preacher or teacher. The Hebrew Bible, the title is Kohelet. And that's the Hebrew word for a preacher or teacher, somebody who presides over an assembly. And so the Latin version uses Ecclesiastes, which is a Latinized form of the Greek word, Ecclesia, which means church. So that's where we get the title. And this preacher, Kohelet, he has a message for us. The message of this book is summed up in verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now that word vanity means mist or vapor or breath. In Hebrew it's hevel, hevel. So it sounds, it's onomatopoeia. It sounds like what it is, just a breath, just a vapor. And a vapor or a breath really has no substance it, it really is nothing. Hence, it comes to mean vain or empty, meaningless, pointless, futile. But it also has a sense of brevity, ephemeral, temporary, not lasting, something of no substance. It, it's fleeting, it doesn't last, and it's really much of nothing. And the writer, uh, the preacher here, is telling us that all is vanity. And he says, vanity of vanities. It's a superlative, like king of kings, lord of lords, or holy of holies. If you want to say something is the most holy, the most holy place in the temple was right in the center. It was called the holy of holies. Well, the writer, the preacher says, all is vanity of vanities. It's very bleak. And he asked this question in verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil that which he toils under the sun? Toil means wearisome labor. 
He's pointing out that life is difficult. Ever since the fall of mankind, life is difficult. There's pain, toil, and enmity. Nothing seems to work out like you want it to. You go through this difficult life, and what have you gained? That's what he's asking. We're all going to die. Whether we're wise or a fool, we all get the, end, all get the same in the end. We're no different than the animals in this respect. He says in verse 4, A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. In other words, life doesn't change much. People live and they die. Indeed, entire generations of people live and they die. And the world keeps turning like some mindless machine. That's what he describes in verses 5 through 7. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and then rises again. The earth just keeps turning. People live, they die. The earth turns round and round. The wind blows to the south, to the north, and all around and around. The streams run to the sea, but the sea is never full. He's describing the water cycle for all you scientists out there. It's a different perspective than what we sang just a moment ago. This is my Father's world. All of creation is testifying to His glory. That's not the perspective that the preacher has here. All things, verse 8 says, are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. You can examine it with all of your senses, he says. You can't fully describe it. The eye is never satisfied. You can see all these things, and it's all been done before. Same with hearing. And what has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Life is wearisome. That's what he's saying. It wears you down and then you die. Life is monotonous. There's nothing new. History repeats itself and people forget the history. I think we've seen that here recently. I, I mean, I, what we're going through right now with this pandemic has happened before. Just a hundred years ago, there was a Spanish flu pandemic. And people were told to wear masks like today. But I, I, I never knew that until, you know, people pointed it out and it was relevant to our days. But it's not something that I studied in history at school. Maybe briefly mentioned here or there. There's no remembrance of the former things. I recently watched a documentary on World War I. It's very interesting. And World War I began <clears throat> after the assassination of Austrian Archduke Franz Ferdinand by South Slav nationalist Gavrilo Princip in 1914. Princip was an anarchist, and he started a world war, a lot like anarchists today. In fact, if you look at that documentary that I looked at, the very beginnings were very haunting because we seem to be repeating ourselves in reference to the world we live in today. See, verse 11 says, There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. We don't remember the past, and you can also make that verse say, We don't remember people from the past. 
Not only are events forgotten, but people are forgotten. We will be forgotten. Each of us has four grandparents, eight great-grandparents, 16 great-great-grandparents. Now, most of you probably know your, or knew your grandparents. Uh, I knew two of my eight great-grandparents. They both died when I was a preteen, 10, 13 years old. But the rest I didn't know personally, nor do I know a whole lot about them beyond what I can find in the census records which is not a whole lot of information. Psalm 62.9 says, Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. You weigh out those who are lowly, those who are exalted, but they're, they're just a breath. They're just a vapor. They're just a hevel. Probably every one of us will be forgotten in two or three generations. Our descendants will know little about us. Maybe the Chinese will know with all the information they have stored from Google, our search history. <laughs> now, if this life is all you have, then you don't have much of anything. That's what the, what the preacher is saying. If we evaluate just this life under the sun, life horizontally, we must come to the conclusion that it's wearisome, toilsome, monotonous, and vain. All that we strive for in our lives will come to nothing when we die. Someone else will get it. Someone else will spend it. It will all be over, and we will be forgotten. In 1967, the Grassroots had a song, popular song. I like this song. This message is terrible, but it's a catchy tune. Let's live for today. To complicate their minds by chasing after money and dreams that can't come true. I'm glad that we are different. We've better things to do. May others plan their future. I'm busy loving you. Sha-la-la-la-la-la. Live for today. <laughs> and don't worry about tomorrow. The point he's making is that he's not going to be one of these people who runs out and chases after money. He just says, hey, he and his girlfriend, let's just live for today. Let's love one another and live for today. Well, that's a nice sentiment, but what difference does it make? The preacher says there's nothing new under the sun. It's depressing to live for anything other than God. You can live for money. You're going to die and somebody else is going to get your money. You can live for a woman or a man, but you're both going to die. You can live for today, but it's all pointless. It's vanity. What difference does it make when you die and are forgotten? Life lived only under the sun is depressing. But life lived under the Son of God is not depressing. You see, the preacher says there's nothing new under the sun. Jesus promises a new birth. There is something new. A new birth. A new life. A new self. A new name. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a 
new creation. Behold, the new, the, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And, and Jesus has made a new covenant in his blood for the forgiveness of sins. And he promises a new heavens and a new earth, a new world, a new Jerusalem, where we will all sing a new song. He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. The preacher says, There is nothing to be gained by all the toil at which we toil under the sun. Well, Jesus says, In me your labor is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. If you live life without reference to the Lord, it's going to be vain. But in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. The preacher says life is wearisome, monotonous, toil. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What are you living for today? What are you toiling for? What are you gaining by all the toil at which you toil under the sun? To put it in the preacher's words. What are you seeking to gain? Are you living just in the here and now? If so, it's futile. It's pointless. I mean, there's no meaning to that. I hope and pray that we all become like Paul who said, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Fruitful labor, not vain labor. Fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part and be with Christ, for that is much better, far better. See, that's the perspective you need in your life. Without Christ, everything is meaningless. But with Christ, our lives have meaning. Our work and toil and all that we go through on this life is for a purpose. But if we don't have Christ, then there is vanity. And 
Without Christ, there's no hope because you died, that's the end. In the perspective of, of how the preacher's trying to get us to look at these things. But if we have Christ, we have the new heavens and new earth. We have hope. We have a future. We have an eternity with the Lord and with his people in a place where there is no toil or tears or pain or suffering or sin. Is that your hope today? Is that what you're living for? Is that controlling your life? Is that the the note that's being struck by the song of your life? See, God may well be taken as a substitute for everything, but nothing can be taken as a substitute for God. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for your wonderful word. And Lord, as we peer into the darkness of a life lived without you, Lord, help us to see what's really important, what's really valuable. And, and Lord, help us to assign the weight, the importance, the gravitas to you above everything else. Forgive us, Lord, for how we so often run to the things of this world for pleasure, for meaning, for purpose that they can't give us those things truly. Lord, may we see you and understand who you are and what you've done for us, that you are our creator and our redeemer, and you desire for us to be a part of your family, to be with you forever. Lord, we ask that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know that, that they would cry to you, that they would pray, that they would turn from their sinful ways and their rebellion against you and and run to you, come to you with their labors and their heavy ladenness and find rest for their souls. And we thank you, Lord, again, for your great mercy towards us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.